Welcome to the Investment Turnaround. In this podcast series, Dr. Mariana Bosazan interviews world-renowned investors, scientists, and other personalities who share their solutions toward the sustainable transformation of our financial systems. My guest today is Christoph Stuckelberger, the founder and president of Globe Ethics Net Foundation based in Geneva, Switzerland. For the past four decades, his main focus has been on ethics, which he has pursued tirelessly through his foundation, teaching assignments and books. Professor Stuckelberger, it is a great pleasure to welcome you uh, to our investment turnaround program. Welcome. Thank you, Mariana Bazezan. It's a great pleasure to have you here. You are um, one of the world's greatest authorities on ethics and morals. And um, on the occasion of the publication of your new book with the title, uh, Global Balance Ethics Handbook for a a Balanced World Post-COVID. I I think it would be very interesting for um, our audiences to really understand what your tenets are and uh, where, uh, where you think we should go from that perspective. But before we do, I would like to invite you to share with us how you ended up with this topic in your life. What happened in your life, your personal life, that made you decide to become a philanthropist and uh, to start the um, Globe Ethics Foundation and, and so on? Yeah, thank you very much. Um, uh, of course, it's a long story, but uh, I would say, I mean, I, I grew up in a in a Protestant pastor's house, and my parents were very value oriented, and uh, so uh, I grew up with values. And uh, then, of course, it was always the question how to con combine or reconcile ethics with with uh, with faith. Uh, so. Uh, is there any connection or it, are these two worlds? Because many people cannot co- reconcile it. They have a Sunday life and a Monday to Friday life. And for me, it was from the very beginning, one of the challenges, how can I leave Monday to Saturday what I hear on Sunday, so to say. Uh, so that is the, the deeper motivation. But of course, on a personal level, it was, uh, I grew up in a, in a small farmer's village in Switzerland and uh, the the personal motivation was how to contribute to justice because I have seen these uh, uh, farmers farmers in our school in the primary school sitting beside people who have uh, really suffered and uh, so this cry for justice was the main uh, emotional driver so to say and how can we contribute with ethics to increase justice and fairness and and all the rest then. And uh, it's not so much the philanthropy that of course is also embedded in my life, but um, it was from the beginning, the, the attempt, uh, uh, the, the effort to say, how can we um, make uh, ethics mainstream? That means um, whatever we do, every second of the life being in, in line uh, with our values leaving our values and that's a big topic of course because we all fail every day because we are human beings we are not implementing what we know that we should implement but uh, this constant struggle uh, in the personal life but then from uh, the studies also of course uh, looking at 
um, not only the individual but the society. That means how to 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 uh, make structures. What we call in ethics the the institutional ethics or structural ethics. That means not only to say ethics is something for myself, my individual behavior, or maybe interpersonal behavior, what we call individual ethics or interpersonal ethics, but the structural ethics, how to build institutions, governments, banks, uh, enterprises, uh, corporate responsibility, uh, philanthropy institutions, which reflect these uh, values that we want to achieve. Wonderful, yeah. So it's not self-understood that one would embark on on this journey, particularly because it's it's a rather uh, wishy-washy and not well-defined uh, topic, uh, because everyone has their own understanding of what ethics and morals uh, are respectively values. So could you please give our audience, first of all, the definition of uh, and the differentiation between ethics versus morals, and then also how do the values come in into this entire equation? Yeah, it's good to, uh, I mean, we are not in a university lecture, but I think it's good to be clear on terminology. Um, morality or morale is normally what we get from parents, from school, from media, what is existing in a society. We should not lie, uh, we should be kind, uh, we sh should be respectful, and so on. That's morality, and that's good. But ethics goes a step beyond. Uh, that means when we, we become adult, we screen what we heard from our parents, from our school teachers, or from media. We become critical and say, do we want to follow this morale, or do we uh, reject it or accept it? And that is then ethics. The critical reflection of morale is ethics. And then we come to a reflected um, answer where we say, okay, uh, respect is meaningful. I want to follow. But uh, sexual ethics of my parents, I may be different uh, today. Uh, so I follow another and I have my own um, uh, ethical justification for that. Or... Uh, euthanasia or uh, biomedical, a lot of questions with, which are new, or cyber ethics. If you look at uh, a dictionary of the 19th century or even 20th century, you don't find the word cyber ethics. So we need to find new answers to new problems. And that's where then values come in. That means we try to reflect what are what I call fundamental values. Ethics is a, a kind of uh, definition, or we try to define some core values. That means benchmarks, like you are on a road and you have left and right uh, these sticks. Huh? In, in winter time when we have snow, it is very impressive. You see snow, everything is white, but you see on the left and the right side, the benchmarks, which way, which show you which uh, road to follow. So values are benchmarks, or we could also say we see ahead where we should go, and um, not to deviate. For example, justice, freedom, participation, peace. These are fundamental values, and this. Uh, so we try to 
say, okay, cyber world was not existing, but can we say how can we adapt um, some of these values? For example, freedom is a value which is broadly accepted. Eh? We want some freedom of decision because that is part of our dignity, of human dignity, to be self-responsible and be able to decide. But what does it mean now with a mobile phone? Eh? We have a mobile phone and a, a, a cyber data, for example, freedom of access. Do I have the right to have the, the, the freedom to access every rubbish in the world? Or is there a state we, who may limit uh, with some internet rules, for example. Then it's a question of how much freedom versus how much security or protection, uh, as an example. So we can see that in every decision that we take, there is an ethical question of what kind of values are important in the decision. For example, if I have this pen, uh, so where is it produced, with what material, under which condition, with child labor, or yes or no. So even a simple pen is a question, uh, includes uh, ethical questions of values. So values are benchmarks for orientation. And then we have another term, we call it the virtues. The virtues are individual behaviors, like honesty, like transparency, like modesty or others. These are virtues. But values can also be, we cannot say an institution is a virtue institution. Eh? An honest institution does not exist. The persons are honest. But the institution can embed values like transparency, like uh, accountability. These are then values which help the individual to be honest. So you mentioned faith uh, before as one of the reasons to uh, why you embarked on, on your personal journey. And uh, when we look at the, every single uh, world religion, they have all defined whatever the Ten Commandments are, you know, in each religion, in order to deliver those guideposts for uh, the believers. Why is it so difficult? Why, is, why haven't we be, been able to implement them? We still struggle with the same old problems individually and society-wise. Otherwise, we wouldn't have this conversation if we have been able to adopt the, the Ten Commandments, not to lie, not to cheat, and so on, uh, to be virtuous. Why is it so difficult for humanity and uh, as a collective and us individually to, to adopt them and, and live by them? Yeah, that's a, that's a crucial question. And I, I would even say that's the, the origin of religion somehow, this question. Because we want, to be, we want to do good, but we do bad. As Paul in the New Testament said, uh, I want to do good, but I do bad. Why? And this is not only in Christianity, that's in all religions, the key question, or a key question. Uh, the the follow-up question is then how can I shift from uh, recognizing the good thing to do the good thing? Uh, that's in Buddhism, for example, very key. The, the, the eight path means a guidance to follow the path that we recognize as the right one. 
uh, I take the example of greed. Every religion is uh, denying. I made a, a little study on it. Uh, you cannot find any justification of greed in religions. Religion all say greed is evil because it leads to um, fighting, to lack of solidarity, and so on and so on. Every religion, but that means that we as human beings are greedy, have it somewhere, and we want to overcome it. And then the religions have different ways to overcome it by um, um, disconnecting from physical uh, emotions and, and uh, like in Buddhism or by, by uh, f creating communities which help each other to, to not to become greedy and so on. So every religion has a different uh, and to some extent similar answer. So the, your question, why? Just because we are human beings. I think that that is the, I would even say the definition of human beings is that we are not able to do what, or we are only partly able to do what we want to do. If we had a full coherence, we would be divine. The divine only is in each second fully coherent. That's why, for example, in the biblical creation story, it says, God said, it be light, and the same nanosecond, it was light. So there was a 100% coherence between will and action. And the weakness of human being is that this is not existing, but we can work on it. We can try to improve our behavior. Uh, we can train, we can meditate, we can pray, we can... Uh, we can uh, exercise to to be to 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 close or to to let's say reduce this gap between goodwill and real action. And everyone is born at square one or square zero, <laughs> and we need to learn. In you know, every baby needs to learn to grow. Um, in, yes, in the culture. I think it and is. Civilization plays a major role. Right. I mean, we all are in, in this, but of course the, the starting conditions are different. If you are born as a, as a child of a drug mother, it's more difficult to, to overcome. So the starting position is not the same, but it does not mean that, uh, that uh, there is no chance. I am often impressed by people with low education with a simple life but with high integrity so they have an inner compass and they know what is right and wrong and they are able to do it as a worker as a whatever as a farmer but they so i'm often more impressed to be honest ethically speaking by such people than people sophisticated by at the way at the end they are more intelligent to cheat and to deviate and to cover the bad things that they are doing. Which uh, we see these days, particularly in the post-COVID world, being, you know, this uh, unethical behavior being exercised even at uh, governmental levels. So shall we move on? And um, uh, I would love to hear from you, what are the top tenets of your, tenets of your book? 
what are you trying to put in the world and how can this program kind of, how can our listeners, which are investors, entrepreneurs, business people, uh, other interested uh, parties uh, to apply your teachings into their own businesses? Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, so the, the title, as you quoted, it is Glow Balance, a global balance. And um, uh, what is the background? The background is that we are living in a very polarized world and not new. I mean, polarization uh, happened again and again, but uh, it's increasingly uh, coming again and uh, in a, in a, in my view, dangerous way also, this polarization. And why uh, now, what is, what is the core issue? The core issue is that my um, worldview is that we are living in a, in a world where poles exist. I mean, the most obvious pole, men and women, for example, but also the pole between uh, characters, as, you, as we know. Huh? Um, the, the, uh, but also the poles in terms of ideas and values. So we can translate the poles into poles of values. I take the example. Freedom and justice are somehow in conflict to each other. If you want full freedom, you would go to a neoliberal economy, uh, uh, free ride, no regulations, no state limiting of entrepreneurial freedom. So freedom overall, that is the maximization of the value of freedom. And that is then translated into um, into economic concepts, into business concepts. So let us put the, the state aside and, and, and have as maximum because we are convinced that with a maximum freedom, we can be maximum beneficial, productive and, and, and benefit. The opposite would be to say we are looking for a society with equality, with justice, with fairness. Uh, we cannot accept this uh, poverty wealth um, uh, gap. We need to, uh, to f fairness means that we have equal opportunity chances and so on. So f uh, justice is the main goal. And that means, for example, um, if the market is not able to, to, uh, to do it, we need a strong state to regulate. Uh, in the extreme, the communism was the answer to that and saying if Manchester capitalism or early industrialization uh, widens the gap between poor and rich, we need uh, socialism or, so, or, or, or communism as a response where a strong state regulates in a way that equal chances can uh, be reached. So you see, we have two poles which are somehow in tension to each other. And my uh, hypothesis is to say we need global balance. That means we need to see opposite values as two parts of the same coin, huh? two sides of the same coin. That means we need to combine them and then balance them. And that is not easy. 
and it's not a static balance it's a it's a it's a constant balancing for example in a society of neoliberalism the res the response in 2008 for the financial markets was state intervention huh? the market failed we had a huge financial crisis so the state has to come in to regulate the free market which was not able to settle the, the problem huh? that was the, the the reaction and the opposite the communist system failed because it was not productive it was overregulated entrepreneurial freedom was not possible so it failed it collapsed it was it was not competing with the dynamism of a free market so how can we now benefit from the positive side of both and balance it that's the the basic and then in this book i try to apply that to uh, 30 domains because if it's education, if it's media, if it's a cyber world, if it's new technologies, if it's uh, religions, uh, they all have this question of balancing values. That's my main message in that book. And I'm convinced that this would be much more productive than going into this polarization, which then de facto leads to the people of the world where the poles are not kept together and we have a Berlin wall in the middle or we have new technological wall. Uh, Huawei is, a, is the example now of a company which is in between uh, and is a kind of technological wall which is built right now and uh, with uh, disastrous effects in my view when we start to rebuild new Berlin walls in the world. But we, we may come back to that later. So the, the basic idea is to, to, to balance values which are opposite but have to be connected to each other. Which in an ideal world, those would be in balance, uh, thus the name Globalance. So how do we apply that within the financial, the investment and the business world, which is the core of, um, of these consultations? Uh, from from a financial perspective, uh, how how would you do that? Somewhere in the book, you write that the economy should serve the people, and I couldn't agree more. Businesses should serve the people. Why have we created a system, and how have we arrived at this point in our lives, in in our e e global economics, where that is not the case? That the economic system serves itself, and the business is. Uh, don't necessarily self the people. Yeah, that's a far-reaching uh, uh, issue. And um, of course, we could go now into the history of e economics. And um, But uh, I think we need to come back to some really common sense issues. We, we need to think basics and uh, that's also why uh, I see my role as ethicist um, to raise just some simple questions what is all about huh? we have all these complex systems and uh, and and, and uh, I mean I just have the, in front of me the a new uh, of the NZZ uh, uh, focus finance um, we have all these complex systems and 
then we go a step back and say what's all about what is it for and and then we say okay wh what is the role of economy and that's why i say economy should serve people and not people the economy that means all what we do is it technology is it economy is it politics that's not a goal in itself it is a goal to improve human lives and to preserve nature uh, so then is the question how can we have an economy which uh, can serve people that means can create jobs can create income, can preserve environment, uh, can uh, have joyful uh, working relations, uh, has uh, a fair system of, uh, of remuneration for capital given to others, means interest rates, what is an, inter uh, 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 an ideal interest rate, um, and so on. So all that not as a mathematical model in itself, but serving the question, how can we have an economy which produces what humans and nature need? Uh, and and, and um, so the, the question is then, um, to go back in each decision to this simple question, and I think what I what I see we also with my students and with other students, I think uh, it was a period, um, especially in the in the first two decades of 15 years of, or let's say 10 years of the 20th century and and last decade of last century, this tendency to say economics is mathematics. You need the the the, the formula, and then you design your financial products. And with the, this collapsed with the financial uh, crisis 2008, when uh, the CEO of the, one of the two large banks in Switzerland, without naming one, said in front of the camera of the television, I must confess I did not understand the formula of all these products that we are selling. Then uh, you as a layperson, you sit here and say, but if the head of a bank does not know what is behind the products that they sell, something must be wrong. And that was a confession of failure uh, as a result of these uh, complex products. So that means we need to come back to a simplification of uh, these constructions. Um, it's like building a house where you no more know where is uh, the electricity line and where are the the iron uh, stabilizing uh, parts, and then the the, the house becomes shaking uh, before uh, it falls down, um, and and uh, that's why then uh, some simple rules came up, and now uh, twelve years later, after two thousand eight. Then there, there were all these warning and also alternatives like uh, sustainable investing, like ESG uh, uh, criteria, um, environment, social governance criteria. And that was uh, at the beginning seen as something ridiculous, yeah, yeah, nice for some idealists. 
And now it's mainstream. I mean, when you look now, uh, every newspaper, even the one I just quoted, they say uh, sustainable investing is ma becoming mainstream. Yeah, there's no choice than this. So after 12, after 15 years of struggle, of uh, kind of uh, corner existence, it's becoming mainstream. And that's a good sign, even though we may uh, discuss it uh, soon, uh, it is, uh, there is also a pitfall in it. But it shows that uh, this, this mindset where we say, okay, let's look the big picture and we need to have a more holistic picture than just seeing our product. And that's the other point which is linked to investing. I think we can show, and you are an expert in, in investing and the practitioner, you know it better than me that the, the holistic approach is, is very important. The more you can see all the side effects and possible effects in one picture, the better is your performance. Because if you exclude, sorry? Exactly, it's it's uh, it's substantial reducing risks if you think holistic, which makes it more complex, less straightforward, less profit maximizing, but profit optimizing. But uh, the only way to have a, a, a risk uh, balance. So we, again, to come back to the question of ethics, what I say is I try to reflect it from. Uh, from the value perspective again. When we have maximization, of course that's uh, banal, that's normal in, in economics, in investing that you say, okay, you choose maximized uh, profit means maximized risk. So you balance just on, a, on, a, on this level, but we can also say it from a, from a value perspective. Um, you need some risks and risks from an ethical perspective is also not negative. It's entrepreneurial thinking. Innovation is positive because it helps to say how can we best serve humanity. But it's not because I only want to say uh, how can I have the maximum benefit for me, but with having innovation I get a benefit from for, for me as an investor, but I also serve society by innovative products. Yeah, so from your perspective, uh, now that you have identified the financial uh, fault lines in the financial system, how would you encourage them to transform? What, what should be done from an ethical uh, perspective? How does that yeah. translate into measurement criteria at the end uh, yeah, of the that's, day? Because that's right now it's... Uh, that's of course uh, not easy because we all know uh, the reality is complex. W one would be to say, even if we can't do it from one day to the other, but to say these values that we define and the, the, the criteria should be uh, applied for the whole portfolio and not just for 10% to say, okay, we reserve 10% for ESG uh, investing, but the 90% we are traditional. I think that's that's past. That's no more possible. Today we have to say 
even if you have only 10% in ESG, but the goal must be our whole portfolio to transform into an ESG-compliant uh, portfolio. That's one thing. And again, saying we cannot do that from one day to the other. Of course, that is hard work. It's risky. We have to, to go step by step. But before we go the steps, we need the goal. And the goal would be to say this must be the trend. The same is with impact investing. There's a lot of confusion and discussion what is impact investing. But what is the, the core idea of impact investing is to say we want to serve human beings by preserving environment. That means we want to serve the real economy. We want to not to invest in a bubble of speculative um, instruments, but we want to have an effect on direct effect on people. And that does not mean that that some of the the uh, risk balancing um, instruments cannot be used. Uh, I'm not blind. I'm not an expert in. Uh, I'm not an investor myself. But uh, but the ultimate goal must be. The ultimate measurement is the impact on people, and if we have a bubble of debts which collapses like, um, like in 2008, the question is, who are the victims? That's one of the measurement criteria to, to look at those who suffer from economic measures. And now it's very complex, and there we need the experts, the investment experts, the economists, the politicians, to tell and to make the, the calculation which measure, measures have which kind of effect, because that's not always obvious and not so always clear. But what we see now, for example, is we need uh, uh, this new high indebtedness, 750 billion uh, discussed in the EU. What is the effect on stabilizing economy, on in, uh, bringing it back to, 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 to growth while we have then a debt burden and what is the effect of that for the future generations. So impact um, is a measurement in all its complexity and over time is very key. So these are just two examples. I mean, we, we have more to say on that, but does it uh, make sense? Yeah, it does. However, I, in my own opinion, the ESG criteria are outdated. Um, I do understand that the financial system and the business and so on are finally catching up, but that's already old and uh, they have not been implemented. The corporate social responsibility, um, you know, entire, it was a marketing thing that uh, never got really implemented and we could see in the corporate social responsibility reports by companies like Volkswagen who got prices for their CSR reporting and ESG reporting and so on, which at the end ended up, you know, lying to um, the whole world. So that's, uh, it didn't work. Uh, then um, we do have um, only 10 years to really adapt and uh, change our economic systems and financial systems and everything that uh, belongs together 
to in order to address the grand global challenges uh, starting with climate change so and uh, i don't see signs for this as covid has accelerated and has shown us that uh, we're not ready um, and uh, we do have an opportunity right now and i would love for us and i would love for your book to really contribute to shifting the mindset and bringing ethics and morals into the thinking in order to set ourselves up so that we could um, implement the uh, and we all know the sustainable development goals of the united nations the 17 sustainable development goals within the planetary boundaries because we do have to not only look at the people but look at the planet and how the planet can actually respond so i see a lot of as you said a lot of complexity coming together and our inability to really address that so i'm i'm very grateful for your book in trying to to call to you know our ethics and morals aspects and see well what are we here to do and how can we save ourselves yeah i fully agree and and that that leads me back to the question of holistic uh, what I observe in the, I mean, ESG is outdated and is not enough. Uh, I fully agree with that. I think the EU, with its new uh, uh, guidelines, uh, tries to to catch up, but but even that is not enough. But uh, at least uh, it's a step in the right direction. Um, what what I um, observed when I studied uh, 45 years ago, we have. Uh, a big emphasis, and my professor in Zurich, uh, Arthur Rie, who was the one of the pioneers of business ethics or economic ethics, as we called it at that time, was on uh, macroeconomic structures of, of 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 economics, plan versus market, and and uh, so all these macroeconomic issues, and then it shifted to business ethics, focused on the single company. And that was needed probably, but it was short-sighted because you cannot solve some of the problems by looking only at the company. The company is part of a society and of a, a macroeconomic system. And what holistic for me means that I wish that the entrepreneurs and the investors also see this macroeconomic uh, frame they are working in. And to, to say we need these and these international standards and regulations, we need, and I mean, some do it, for example, in climate coalitions, say uh, we, we cannot solve it as a company alone. We need to solve it from the micro, meso and macro level together. And, and, and uh, that would need this kind of uh, political debate what are then the the, the 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 measures that are needed and i come uh, in my book then also took some uh, difficult questions which are linked between economy and politics uh, i take the example of of the lead currency the us dollar i just read an article in in uh, in um, uh, one of, of the journals saying that um, the I mean, de facto, the status of the U.S. dollar as as world uh, reserve currency is even stronger than uh, uh, 2008 or before 2008. So what does it mean? It means that de facto, the U United States are politically weak 
some speak about banana republic when they look at how they deal with COVID. And at the same time, financially, they are string still in an extremely strong position. So when we want to shift, how can we link the currency issue with the investing issue? And that is uh, where I have not a real answer because I see that these are two levels which are so far from each other that it's not easy. An investor cannot uh, force the Fed to in the U.S. Federal Reserve to uh, in their policy, but every decision there affects directly uh, the investment environment and uh, affects the value of the UN and affects the the China uh, U.S. relations and affects all the currencies in Africa. So um, uh, this it's for me it's also to come back to the values, a kind of uh, um, fairness issue. The, the, the global currency system is a power-led system, which people would say, economists, historians would say that was always the case. It was the pound, it was the German mark, it was the US dollar. It, the lead dominant superpower uh, led also the currency, so to say. And that we could say, okay, that's the game of the world. The superpower uh, is also the, the superpower of the, of the currency. But in a multilateral system, we would say, no, that must not be. We can uh, have alternatives. We can have a more balanced basket, which then defines the currency system. But the, what, what is difficult for me is that this macroeconomic level, where we have some um, uh, discussions about the financial architecture and so on, and then this uh, investment level, uh, how to, to bring it somehow in coherence is very difficult. You are the expert in that. Yeah, well, um, it all comes down basically to the mindset of, uh, I personally, I'm, uh, I'm a, I'm an early stage investor and uh, small and medium enterprises create uh, between 60 and 80%, well, actually 90% of all the jobs worldwide and uh, are responsible, be, you know, in Germany, for instance, for 55% of the GDP, but worldwide it's between 60 and 80% of the GDP. So the, the impact of um, individual investors like I am, you know, and small investors in, in investing in small and medium enterprises is huge. And it all comes down from my personal perspective, um, you know, as a, as a high tech investor and uh, someone who believes that exponential technologies uh, have a great opportunity to really help us address the current uh, challenges that we have from climate change to others. Uh, but uh, the question for you, since you're the expert in this field, is how do we correlate the mind shift, uh, the mindset of, uh, of the individual entities and agents with the ethics aspect? Because, see, we have the egocentric mindset where, you know, like Trump, it's all, he pretends to be about America, but actually he means it's about me and my business and mine. Uh, then we have an ethnocentric mindset, which is the tribe, it's my tribe, it's Bavaria, it's uh, Switzerland, it's uh, America. 
And then we have the global, the worldwide minds, the mindset that realize, oh my God, we live in the same world and the air doesn't stop at the German-Swiss border, it goes across. And so, but that is a, a question of uh, evolution. And we all evolve from, hopefully, from an egocentric, like a two-year-old, to an ethnocentric that cares about the family, uh, mm -hmm. to opening up to the, the reality of a global existence. And so I think that, uh, and I personally invest only in people who have a world-centric mindset, because there I have a, an equal partner in, mm -hmm. uh, in, uh, in the trust that we both understand each other. And in everything that we do, we realize that we have an impact, that uh, you impact me and I impact you. And so the question is, how does ethic evolve along those lines? Egocentric, ethnocentric, world-centric, which, which I think is, is one of the crucial most, it's one of the most important aspects in my investment business. Yeah, I think I, I'm happy that you mentioned these uh, three. And um, maybe we, we need to also say that uh, world-centric does not mean that we have to forget about our own needs. I mean, an we investor <laughs> needs to have uh, income at the end of the day. Uh, so uh, th there is this uh, global rule of reciprocity, which we call the golden uh, rule, which is in all world religions and ethic system, uh, do to, other, uh, to, to others what you want them to do to you. And that means the balance of the interest of the other and my own interest. So that's, again, a balance issue. So um, personal interests, tribal issues and global uh, or interests and global interests, how to balance them. But the, the issue is um, what counts in terms of conflicts and uh, that's the ethical, if there is an ethical dilemma and we say what counts at the end of the day is me before the other two levels or the second level before the third level, then it is a decision against the reciprocity rule, the golden rule, because the golden rule means also on a global level. And we all know that we can better benefit if we uh, have this world uh, interest level included than if we exclude it. Um, so we know it, but we don't do it. But what I would, uh, uh, in order to come back to your issue of, of uh, high tech and, and innovation, I think that's a very good approach. Uh, the ethical question in that is then, how do we look at the technology, I would say uh, new technology is per se, not yet per se positive for humankind. We have to look at, of course, what kind of, a, again, the question of how to serve people. How can economy or innovation serve people? I published a book with uh, Africans on, we had a workshop on uh, innovation ethics. Um, in the African context, and that was very interesting. And we, I have two sons who we have two sons who, who are researchers in the field of physics and solar energy. So new technologies in solar, they go to, to nanotechnology, and, and and so. And we discuss with them what you are doing. Uh, how can 
can it be beneficial for humanity? And I'm 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 happy that two of the sons are not ethicists, but uh, technological innovator researchers. But then the question comes: How do they uh, try to find out where this research serves humanity and where it is the opposite? And that is, of course, difficult because, especially in basic research, fundamental research, it can lead to both. Uh, nanotechnology nano, uh, can lead to, to, to produce new kinds of weapons uh, uh, and can uh, produce uh, uh, healing instruments or whatever, so, and solar, um, uh, more efficient solar cells and so on. So, uh, but, but that would be the question I would then discuss with you on uh, your investments. And I'm sure that's exactly what you do. You screen then the... The, the technology and you say does it contribute in the positive way knowing that every technology is ambiguous and can also be abused uh, that, that's uh, or not all but uh, many of them well that's exactly the point because uh, we should not confuse uh, the different lines uh, in types of intelligences so when you talk about innovation in a, in a scientific way, that is the cognitive development, you know, that enables you to develop something totally new. But we also have an emotional intelligence, which is, uh, you know, somewhat separate. They're all correlated, of course, but e emotional intelligence is different from the moral, intelligent and ethical uh, line of development, which is your expertise. And they're all independent. So when we look um, somewhat, and when we assess in uh, investees, we look at the psychograph because most of them, most people who come to us with ideas are cognitively highly developed. But that doesn't mean that they have a high emotional intelligence and it does not mean that they have a high moral and, and ethical intelligence. And so the, the psychograph looks totally different. So that's why it is extremely important that we all um, look at these aspects in correlation with one another, because then you support, you finance, uh, you know, a, a genius who is a, 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 moral, a moral dwarf. And that is the worst combination, you know, give an atomic bomb to Hitler and then you have, uh, well, whatever the americas uh, the american uh, the united states used that but anyways so that's not the way to go and um and that's a conversation to have and this my question to you and you know would be the last one before we finish how do you see ethics and morals being applied in the world that is growing ever more complex because do you see i mean you're a teacher do you see that ethics and morals should be taught in business schools and uh, in, in um, higher education, starting um, you know, in, in kindergarten? Because these are extremely important aspects, particularly when we listen to the developers of the internet who said when they developed the internet, they didn't think that they, they thought they wanted people to communicate with one another. And now they regret that because when they look at the, how that evolved toward social media, where people are killing themselves, you know, uh, and each other. Um, so that, that's something that they haven't thought of. So. Yeah. Uh, a number of questions uh, you raise. Uh, I mean, the, 
first the feedback on on your approach i think that's uh, extremely positive that it's exactly this holistic thinking to say we have a technological intelligence we have a, an emotional intelligence we have a moral intelligence we have a political sensitivity or intelligence and and we have a holistic means we have to bring that together and i think uh, you you your success business uh, is is it shows that this holistic approach uh, bears fruits and that's why more and more companies also uh, say okay we need an ethicist we need a political scientist in order to have this kind of approach a techno uh, geek is not enough uh, to develop a new product uh, saying that um, all innovation and, and new developments, uh, we cannot predict everything. I think what is important is uh, what we call, and, and also Christian von Weizsäcker in Germany called it, the Fehlerfreundlichkeit in German of, of technology. That means to develop technologies which allow corrections. Default tolerance. Yes, default tolerance. That means we need to be able to from the beginning to say, okay, what do we do? Can we correct if something goes wrong? And that means, for example, that decentralization and smaller units are more default tolerant than the big centralized units where you have a cyber attack on a central uh, nuclear power plant or a central grid, electricity grid, and then half of Bavaria is dark for four days, uh, it's not exaggeration, it ca can happen, or do we have units where when there is an attack on the solar panel of my house, it is not so serious as long as I'm not connected with all the solar panels in the city. So this kind of um, default friendliness uh, is, is very important. Uh, the other is um, um, to yeah, your question was um, how how to deal with this holistic approach, and then there was another question. Um, um, it just escaped to me. Um, I I would say to to mainstream ethics means to integrate ethical thinking from the beginning and not yet at the end. What I often observe is that. Um, I'm called and there is a product almost ready to the market and then they invite an ethicist and say can you give us your comment on it and I say that's nice that's very kind of you I'm happy to do it but uh, it would have been better you invite the research team to invite me at the beginning before you start developing the product so uh, I was uh, for 10 years member of the Swiss Bioethics Committee of the Swiss government when where we had this exactly this task early stage where before the whole research is is done to to reflect on some so we, we reflected on nanoethics 15 years ago before it was a trend in the society and I think that's what we should have a system where people think Yes, from the very beginning, we need an interdisciplinary team. Now, coming back to your question of education and the role, I would say yes, uh, uh, on all levels. Uh, I, of course, I teach ethics in universities. I, uh, we do a lot of trainings of, 
of professors because we say in globethics.net, ethics in higher education, these are the future leaders. Uh, so let's start with universities uh, uh, to, 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 to raise this awareness and again across because many people see ethics as very limited. Ethics is about my personal honesty, my integrity, but ethics is something across all the, uh, the, 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 the sectors and activities, as I said. Now, so moral education is very important in, uh, <clears throat> um, from, from childhood, of course. Uh, there is no doubt for that. But uh, because there you, you, you find the sensitivity, for example, as I said in my uh, education, for fairness, for justice. Um, but, but it is not enough. It has to, to grow. And I would say we have to grow in our value development as we grow in, in our body and in our mindset, in our intelligence. That's, uh, again, holistic. We cannot say, yes, ethics in the age of 3 to 5 or 15 to 20, and then we can stop. It's an ongoing process. And that is all part of this globe balance and uh, and includes the the spiritual dimension that means to say how are we rooted you know and i think one of maybe to 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 add that one of the reasons for uh, for greed is that we are somehow not uh, we don't trust we don't have enough trust in the world and religion means finally uh, and faith means to trust and to increase the trust in life or uh, believers would say trust in God um, so that we are not dependent on uh, grabbing and uh, keeping and uh, maximizing profits because a part of that is out of, of fear out of existential fear and I see it with poor people who then grow up and become rich and they they are greedy because they still have this existential threat of being hungry and we understand them I don't criticize them I understand them but we have to overcome that and that's where where spirituality uh, plays a role also in um, ethics which is the foundation of everything because at the end of the day we will all leave this world and we will not take any of that with us um, i am a firm believer that if there is anything that we take with us is wisdom that we have acquired over our lifetime and virtue so these are the two things that i believe in you know all religions and, and uh, wisdom traditions confirm that Anyways, uh, Christoph, it's been a wonderful pleasure to have you on the program. Thank you so very much. much for Thank you very much, Mariana. It was a pleasure to talk on these important issues. And uh, all the best for your investments and for our cooperation. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much. And those of you who are interested in, in uh, acquiring uh, Professor uh, Stickelberger's book, it's called Globalance Ethics, uh, an ethics handbook for a balanced world post-COVID. So thank you so much. And you can download it from August for free on the globeethics.net website. Wonderful. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you very much. Thank you.
We hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more on Dr. Bosazan and the investment turnaround, visit investment-turnaround.com.